are listening to Loud on the Set with Kyle and James. A level-headed movie critic meets a loud-mouthed movie cynic. And action! All right, welcome back to the show. My name is Kyle. This is James. And today we're going to be talking about a hot blockbuster release. And uh, we have somebody very special joining us. The wonderful Josh is here. Say hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. <laughs> so thank you for joining us today, Josh. And uh, James, what movie are we going to be talking about today? The Martian. Oh, boy. I'm surrounded by nerds. <laughs> Fucking nerds. If Little you're green talking man. about Martians, you have to have theremins. It is an obligation. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> so uh, this is not your Plan 9 from Outer Space Martian film uh this, this is, is some, matt damon the martian yeah this is some some new stuff here so i want to get a little bit of a background and josh you mentioned uh you, you had a little bit of background just on where this story came from and uh and got it to the movie that it is today so it's like a, a blog or something right yeah this is andy weir kind of doing a love story to how astronomers and astrophysicists and the folks at nasa do these missions so allegedly he had tried a couple times to be a writer, never really got off the ground and decided he was just going to do it because he loved it. So he started writing something on his blog where he got a chance to come up with an idea, pitch it to some people who were reading it. They reviewed it and being giant nerds themselves started <laughs> tearing it apart and pointing out where he was inaccurate. But because this was getting sort of perpetually fan reviewed, it became a very accurate, interesting, wonderful portrayal of how a space program could work. That's so cool. All right, but wait, speaking of giant nerds, <laughs> we, we've jumped ahead a little bit. We always have Sorry, to have, yes. when we have a guest star on the show, You're on right. Loud on the Set, when we have a guest star on Loud on the Set, there's always a segment called, Why Should We Listen to You? <laughs> In other words, we got to get to know you. Josh, who are you? Yes, why uh, should we listen to anything you just said? Yeah. I am a meat popsicle. Um, I am a big fan of science fiction and I've been doing amateur astronomy for, gosh, 14 years at this point, 15. And it's been an absolute thrill ride. I operate a telescope, I do sidewalk astronomy, and I do some science interpretation for my job. Excellent. This guy is, he's a genius. I introduced him one time at a talk as a fellow nerd, a a nerd of epic (laughs) proportions, I think I even said. And so, yeah, we all work together. It's great. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So Josh is uh, Josh is the guy to discuss this movie with. Um, so before, so the I, we got this blog. It turns into this kind of um, serialized uh, book, and then somebody picks it up and wants to uh, make a screenplay. Right. Go I heard the whole nine yards with it. As soon as a publishing company came in, I'd have to check this uh, to make sure it's accurate. But someone came in immediately after and bought the film rights. Wow. So as soon as it got picked up, is like. A major publisher a book wanted book, it. book, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can still find it around even without uh, Matt Damon's grimacing face on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Andy the original, original was just an astronaut getting blown the heck over by a Martian wind gust. So uh, for anyone who's seen it or read it, it's an important scene and a great one to kick off the cover with. Excellent. Yeah. So this is a, a really cool story about how um, kind of things are getting made nowadays, especially in this medium. People are just all over the place coming up with ideas, and if they hit on something, you know, it can become a big international sensation like this. But let's break down the uh, the movie for a minute, and we'll, we'll go around and just give kind of our overall impressions of the film. Uh, I think they're going to trend towards 
one side of the spectrum here. But James, start us out. What'd you think of the movie? Okay. What'd you like? What'd you What'd you not like? My overall first impressions, and feel free to piggyback on anything I say, guys. Absolutely not. No, is that I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. I had a great time. I went to go see it with my wife, and in my opinion, The Martian was, uh, based on my experience, a great example of how company present at the movie theater can enhance the experience because we weren't there to be movie cynics like I usually am. We were there enjoying it, a matinee show on an afternoon, and we're having a good time together. We held hands throughout the whole thing. There were tense moments. There were there were funny moments. There were anxious moments. And, Are we talking know, about a tender James right now? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Say it ain't so. Mild doubt. <laughs> the robot is, oh, my God. Anyway, um, that, that enhanced it for me. We, we had a good time. We talked through the, the, the interesting parts. We explained things to each other. We held hands. I, I really had a great, great time. We'll get into some of the stuff that I like to nitpick sooner or later, but I'm going to pass it now to Josh. Excellent. All right. Uh, I watched it. There was a pre-release screening we were offered from work, and mm. we got a chance to go in there. Everyone was super excited. No one had seen this before, so there was nobody calling out stupid things from the back. <laughs> uh, and I was anticipating a movie that I would either really love or walk out going, oh my God, they butchered the book, what's going on, and get on my highfalutin nerd horse. Um, <laughs> and what happened? It struck a perfect balance. There were many nice. things they omitted that I loved from the book, and I was understanding of why they had to get dropped. No one is willing to sit there and watch Matt Damon sit there for five minutes talk about the oxygen exchange rates in the hab. <laughs> Some people are. shouldn't say not everyone. <laughs> I would be interested. Uh, but they are also releasing, I've heard, a DVD where many of those scenes are put back in. Excellent. But for a theatrical release, yeah. I get it. Um, there were many wonderful moments that they kept in. And at first, I gotta say, I was a little bit salty about the omission of so many of the colorful, wonderful swear words <laughs> that are there in the book. Oh. They PG-13 there, right? I would have loved it, it, it even did, more. Yeah. It did drop to a PG-13. But as uh, Kyle just said, as a science communicator, I'm realizing this will mean many more kids see it and get way more excited about it. So there were many things that I wish I had gotten to see in there, but I also 100% understand the director's choice to drop those things for the sake of the theatrical release. Excellent. Can I jump in real quick yeah. and say something? Now that you're mentioning the cursing, I remember quite well one of the early scenes in the movie when he climbs back into his, what do you call it, the home base? For instance, right? spoiler alerts yeah, going spoiler. for the rest of okay. this. So overall, we love The Martian. Go see it. Okay, okay. now, yeah. spoiler time. We have a bad habit <laughs> on this podcast of giving a spoiler and then alerting you to it after the fact. It's really backwards. Anyway, um, you mentioned the cursing. I remember when Matt Damon was rescuing himself and he crawls back into, what do you call it? The, that was the rover, I think. The rover? He got into one of the mobile units. And okay. Was, and he's working on himself. He's doing surgery on himself. That was no. the half oh, year right yeah. now. He's right right, right okay. at the beginning. Yeah. Right at the beginning, okay. right? He's, he's removing that piece of the antenna and the movie's been dialogue-free for a while now because mm -hmm. he's on the planet alone. You just hear his breathing. He hasn't he, said anything, he hasn't said anything since, since he woke up. Yeah, and, he's also... To be fair, suffering from pressure sickness, and he's hypoactive. So <laughs> no, I know. I'm not like, oh, I think I'll open the front door. <laughs> no, what's I'm, this? I'm building to something okay. here because I saw what they were doing in the movie. There, they were, they were using his moments of silence to to introduce his character. How are we going to handle it when this guy finally talks? What will oh. he say? Will it be depressing? Will it be depressing? Will it be intense? Will it be 
uh, panic, right? Like, uh-huh. I don't know about you guys, but I was waiting yeah. on that first motion. Oh, yeah. What's the first one that he says, Kyle? Don't say it! He never cursed <laughs> on the podcast. Josh, what did he say? I don't remember. You don't remember? What does he say? He says, fuck. Don't, don't, don't curse on the podcast. I always curse on the podcast. I'm carte blanche. He, that was the yeah, first welcome. word. I, do you remember that, Kyle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I thought, wow. All right. This movie perhaps won't be as emotionally intense as I thought it might be. There's going to be levity here. And yet, at the same time, intensity. What do you think? But if you're pulling an antenna out of you, I feel like it is only accurate and appropriate oh, yeah. to scream fuck. And that it was no, no, perfect. He didn't, he didn't scream afterwards. He he grunted and it groaned was, his way through it. When he had it finished so resting human. on the tray, it was yeah. not a fuck. It was very human was, in, yeah. a, in an analysis. Wow, of, did I? Is it possible that I paid more attention to this movie than my <laughs> dialogue? Epic dialogue? Too? Never mind. Josh was too. looking I, at all the little pieces of the human space interaction. Right? We don't do <laughs> human. No, I was busy looking at the blinking lights. In the no, background. that was beautiful because I was thinking that the whole time. I was hung up on that moment. I was like, "What would be was, the first word?" Right? I was so happy yeah. they weren't right. saying anything there mm-hmm. because yeah. Yeah, you, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't. He wouldn't just be talking to himself at that point mm-hmm. to dialogue as the narrator. And that, oh man, this hurts so bad. Like he was totally just—it's right. all noises and all. It was human brutal existence, and then yeah. he got it out, and it was totally just like ah. And it made perfect sense. To be fair, I yes. also must add a caveat to that. That mm-hmm. I'm not a cinemaphile by the strongest sense. I love movies, so cinemaphile by that. But right. I never took a cinema class. I actually paid attention. Uh, and secondly, <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> when they were doing the self-operation and he was stapling himself and mm-hmm. all that part, I believe I had my hands clenched over my eyes and <laughs> waiting for it to be over. You sissy. <laughs> I don't right. like blood. <laughs> have, we, have we finished our... Did we go around the table? No, Kyle. Uh, no, no, yeah, I got a... Uh, First impression, Kyle. So, yeah, it. I loved it, and I went in um, uh, with a, a hopeful optimism because I love Ridley Scott's work. Um, as I mentioned before, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I think he does a really good job caring for characters and giving the audience what they want in some situations. People often dismiss um, ignorantly Gladiator as a gruesome, horrible, violent action nah, movie when no it is so much more than that. Um, and it's a really tender love story mm-hmm. and it's all about the human condition and, and everything. And I was going into this, Ridley Scott hasn't had a big hit movie in a while. And Did he one, do Prometheus? He did. Yeah, that and, was poop-tacular. Yeah, <laughs> that was an unfortunate <laughs> yeah, uh, follow-up right. to the Alien saga here. But, um, or prequel, I should say. But yeah, I was really rooting for it, and I was so happy that this was uh, this was where it came in. That being said, I think that it skewed towards Hollywood a few times in it yes, to yes. to give the average audience, you know, something to enjoy, and and I'll and I'll add a uh, a limb there that they can go off on, so they can have that one because I really enjoyed everything else. I thought it was a great viewing experience, and um, I loved the the whole idea of the, of everything. And to be fair, you, Josh, were the only one that had read the book before seeing it, correct? James, you did not read it. I did not read it. So I I went in having absolutely no idea where the movie was going to go or anything. So I really enjoyed that. The uh, Hollywooding you mentioned stuck out for me nowhere stronger than the Iron Man yes. flying oh. at the end. Well, if we gonna, you saw we, it, you know what we're talking about. Are we going to jump yeah. to the end then? Or are we going to... We, we can... Gonna, I don't want to... No, yeah, we okay. can... Uh, there were definitely points where it definitely stood out, and that scene absolutely is probably the most... Yeah. The most Hollywood Egregious. thing in it. <laughs> so we'll, we can reference <laughs> that later as well. But let's um let's break it down a little bit and okay. talk about... um Let's talk about space movies. So I'm curious, Josh, um, you've probably seen a lot of space movies and it's true. Um, and science fiction as well. <laughs> and uh, I want to know where this one kind of falls in your uh, your analysis. Does this 
hold up the genre and go, yes, this is what we should be working towards? Is there? What do you think about it? I am a purist and have submitted comments to this blog in the past talking about what is exactly science fiction. <laughs> right. And I would almost disqualify this from science fiction mm. because there's really only one technology they propose, and that's the ship that brings astronauts, Marsonauts, mm-hmm. to Mars and back to Earth, the Hermes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everything else we kind of have already. Yeah. That's one of the things I loved most about this. It was using existing technology for the most part. And really the and Hermes exposing it to a lot of people that weren't familiar with it. Right. We can do almost everything they did in this movie. There That's are awesome. some parts that strain it and but he offers at least a partial solution to every challenge that comes up and it's using relatively well-grounded current science so whereas i look at like i'm gonna pull out the trek here they propose (laughs) lots of technologies and come up with techno babble to rationalize how Mm. and what and why a warp drive could ever friggin function in any universe oh dilithium crystals what's a dilithium (laughs) crystal shut up um this uses mostly things we've already got or pretty good understanding of and whatever he brings in he offers some scientific perspective on what the heck it is. Hermes has an ion drive. Most science fiction would leave it as, oh, it's got an ion drive. What's that do? Shut up. <laughs> he says it's great at moving a lot of mass over a long time or a short amount of mass over, well, still a long time. These things get going very quickly, but it's all acceleration and deceleration. That's great. That's so much and that more scientific that perspective. I, yeah, I heard a theories about when I was taking astronomy classes in college and stuff. So I recognized um, mm-hmm. most everything in there. And yeah, I can't I can't really think of anything where I was like, whoa, that, that was... It. So it pretty much was, I, I don't want to say contemporary, but it was in the realm of the, the science that we have now. I have a question, though. Yes. Since, since we have sort of drifted away from where does this stand in the, in, sure. the, in the space movies, maybe we'll get back to that, mm. because I'd love to know how it falls on the continuum of Homer Simpson goes to space. That episode and <laughs> was pretty accurate. <laughs> All right, and versus Interstellar, let's say. Oh boy, did I hate. Anyway, the question here, since we're talking about contemporary science and and um, how reasonable it was and how believable it was, the oxygenator. One thing that my wife turned to me during the movie and asked, "How does he always have oxygen? Whether he's strapping his suit on or whether he's in the HAB or whether he's in the vehicle, is it realistic that oxygen?" or maintaining his own atmosphere, if you will, around his head uh-huh. or in his physical space is not a concern. It didn't seem to be a concern in the movie. Take it away, Josh. It's very much a concern in the book, but he also talks about and explains that oxygen should never really be an issue on Mars because most of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide. Take out the carbon. So he's sequestering the carbon with the oxygenator, and the oxygen's there, and when he respirates, uh, okay. he's going to give out carbon dioxide, which means they just have to extract more. So when the, uh, book spoiler, <laughs> when the oxygenator goes kaput, well well then done. he has to worry about it, but he can still find ways to do it and repair it. When he's moving it, he has to make special qualifiers because he's going to have to turn it off for a little while. So oxygen is a concern in the book, but never mentioned in the movie, which again, one of those things like you could have put it in, but I get why you didn't. Mm-hmm. But is this technology currently, is this used? Is this, yeah? Okay. Same thing, uh, you have a rebreather for folks who are scuba diving. Scuba diving, right. Okay. You can use a filter to sequester the carbon, or you can uh, use the massive version that he has. That's Very awesome. And good. I was actually, um, I was discussing this with my sister and uh, her fiance, and we were talking about this. And one of the things that he brought up, um, he's a huge fan of Apollo 13 and was referencing, um, 
how attached he was to um, all the different science apparatus in the movie because they provided these three astronauts that were stuck up there their life and everybody on earth was trying to make everything work um, like the uh, the carbon uh, carbon dioxide mm -hmm. um, device that they had to build to remove all the carbon dioxide from the air and everything and I think that for us ultra science um, people having a little bit more explanation on some of those devices mm -hmm. um, as they gave in Apollo 13 I think they had a, a, some more analysis on those things even though it was a little drier, and I want to say it was... It was also longer. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, would have provided some more emotional attachment to the situation that he was in, where he was relying on stuff that was around him. He didn't have anybody but himself, except for the people that were helping him and sending him extra knowledge that he needed. So. Well, that's why you got to go buy the DVD. Right, I want to see all the bonus scenes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I would Excellent. love to. Can I just say how refreshing it was to see somebody who was trapped on Mars be a completely random science discipline as botanist. botany. I loved that. I was like, this is going to provide so much support for botanists and also, you know, all the other people that do weird stuff, like entomologists. Like, I can rep for my, my peeps now, you know. Where was the marine mammologist? <laughs> Ain't no I'm marine kidding. on Mars. <laughs> Okay, so uh, in the in uh, a recent film besides The Martian that's come out that's kind of like this, I don't even want to really compare them any more than two space movies that came out. They were both a little bit Hollywoodized, Interstellar and this one. Josh, I just want to get a quick bit from you um, on Interstellar and where it, um, with scientific accuracy and theory and how you felt about that movie. Well, James has voiced his opinion James hates briefly it. before, mentioned. and we did almost get into a uh, slap fight in the hallway. <laughs> I really enjoyed parts of Interstellar. Uh, there's, I would have loved to have gone back through and kind of edited it to my cut, mm -hmm. and I think my cut would have been way better. <laughs> but that was also kind of, in some ways, stretching the science fiction definition. They proposed an overseer, a hyper-intelligent thing that's looking out for humanity and gives us a free wormhole at Saturn when we need it and have the technology to get there, no big deal. And they made leaps on how those theories would actually work in reality. And so they, the moment yeah. you say love is fifth dimensional, I <laughs> oh kind of turn God. the table over and walk out. Yeah. Physicists don't touch love. Love's for hippies. <laughs> um, so when I'm looking at all of these different things that folded into Interstellar, it's very much a mixed bag. Uh -huh. Four technologies, their ships were cool. Their yeah. ships were great. Uh, they had all sorts of interesting ways of dealing with the planetary environment. They were robust. They dealt with an ice world, a water world, and showed some wear and tear and some suffering, but they still worked. What I got to say, hands down, my favorite part were the robots. Uh -huh. The marine and the space version robots had an interesting look. They were versatile. When I first saw them, it's like, who let the monolith out? <laughs> but in the time since, you can see on the uh, water world when it has to run and immediately turns in the uh -huh. asterisk shape and is able to use some kind of internal gyroscopic mechanism to really make itself go fast. And then for braking, 
turned itself back into the monolith. That was a really cool design. Mm -hmm. And those, yeah, those technologies are, we're starting to move in that direction where for oh deep, deep sea exploration and for uh, planetary explanation, you know, exploration, making things that more resemble insects and mm -hmm. things that move on difficult terrain more are than... Are you guys out of your fucking minds? No, this is real. This go, is true. Yeah, I know it's real, but go look at, go look at what we're cranking out. Let's say, you know, some of the greatest advances in robotics, sadly... Um, hey, my worldview is sneaking its way in, is in the military. These things don't look like giant cell phones that split off limbs, all right? They look like, they look like animals, look like six-legged creatures. They look like... Are you talking about big dogs? I'm talking about any robotic I've ever seen is not a smooth, sleek monolith a la, you know... Well, that's way out there, right? Okay, but it's I, just, I actually you, found that those robots from Interstellar, and we're getting a, they, pretty far away from the Martian here. No, that's way. okay. I did I wanted, not bring this up. I, I wanted I a comparison they were like comic here. relief. The theater I was in, whenever those robots moved, the theater started laughing. Like <laughs> it was like, weird and strange. It here. was. Like, it was. Just... It was bizarre. But you know, things that seem bizarre. But I just hated that whole fucking the... movie. <laughs> so well, stupid. And I would put forward the Buckyball bots that one of the Google Lunar X Prize folks are putting forward. It's mm -hmm. a sphere with a robot inside it. The sphere is super robust. It can roll itself almost anywhere. And when it needs to do fine manipulation, it extends limbs outside the sphere. That's cool. So oh, interesting. there's right. cool ideas that can come from this. I will say that. The uniform exterior threw me a lot with those. That didn't make a ton of sense. One of them had a label across it, I think, for yeah, tars. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> well, think, think about this. Almost every piece of equipment, you're a space guy. Look at what our um, lunar landers look like. Look at every piece of, piece of space equipment ever. It's so bare bones, and it's designed for functionality. It doesn't look cool to have solar panels jutting out in a million different directions. These things are built and engineered for functionality uh -huh. over style. And and that stupid robots in Interstellar are style first. And then, oh, by the way, we have to make it look like it can paddle its way through water. No no propulsion mechanism or anything. Just just water wheel is out of there. Not if, I, see. if I recall, though, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would also say that he mentions that, I think it was TARS, was a marine combat robot that was repurposed for that mission. Interesting. There we go. So, Full circle. Same thing. Look I at the Alvin look subs. Up. Look at I'm submersibles, not sure man. About man. That, but it's something truly not designed for that purpose, but they wanted to give them some reinforcement. All right. Okay. Well, I got my comparison. So I want to move on here to um, what we liked about the movie, The Martian, and what we didn't like. So I want to start off with something that I really liked, um, which was that, and this comes with the story. This is the inception of the, the, the book and the serialization and everything, is that the whole film was, um, in my opinion, about coming to people coming together you know and yes. solving problems the whole film is obviously about problem solving but more than that it's saying that not one person will ever have all the answers that they need um, and Mark Watney would have been screwed had he not eventually you know gotten contact with anybody else for aid he could have survived a long time and yeah triumphed over Mars for a little while but it, he would have succumbed to, to issues at times but it's all about people working together and needing to work together to solve this big problem. So I really loved how that was the focus, and it really brought science and the scientific method to the uh, mainstream Hollywood kind of cinema area um, with dazzling visuals and doing a really great job. And uh, on a double-edged spear here, the casting. You know, they had a huge ensemble cast of, like, all these big names to bring people into the movie, which is great. But that, I also thought, was... I'm going to give my flaw here, was one of the main flaws of the film, and that was that it seemed like a lot of the characters got pigeonholed down to these yes. stereotypes that 
were basically the actors and actresses that were playing them, kind of as like bit parts afterwards. So that was uh, a little distracting. Had they had a little bit more screen time, maybe they could have fleshed them out a little bit more, and that um, stereotype would have faded off a little bit. But I found the casting in some parts to be a little bit distracting. But anyway, can that was my big I, heralded point and my f- a little can, bit. Can I piggyback on, yeah, on a couple it. of your points? Uh-huh. Number Give one, us your, your good and your bad. Number one, the feel-good story, the global unity. Mm-hmm. You you felt it kicking in as the as the movie progressed. Oh, yeah. oh boy, like now they're doing this. Oh, now they're bringing in China. Oh, I see how this is going to become. We are the world. Like yeah, it was a big. We are the world at the end mm-hmm. of the music video, right? Um, <laughs> a little schmaltzy, right? Uh, feel-good global unity story to save this one guy. Uh, yeah, but it, it worked. You know, like it kind of worked. You, it made you feel good. I agree with you on the too many characters. There's some of my comments here. Too many friggin' characters. You know, you got the quirky, problem-solving nerd guy who just, I'm content to remain in the shadows even at the very end. Thank you very much. You know what I'm talking about, right? You got Which the, one? The, the, the black guy. Oh, yeah. Jeez. The, what, the, the young black Donald guy? Glover? From, yeah, the guy that who, his name? that's his name. I don't know. All yeah. I know is he was like the sheepish one that even when the whole world is severed, he's like, nah, it's okay. I, I don't want to even cross the threshold of the door. We're like, come to on, To be fair, man. how many orbital technicians have you talked to? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> They're a lot like that. That was kind of right? what I was figuring out. <laughs> All right, too, but yeah. he was a little bit jammed in there. Let's, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, the question, the authority guy. I don't even know his name. He apparently dies in a lot. Sean Bean, right? Oh, yeah, Sean Bean. You got to yeah. have the... You're, you're, you're out of your fucking mind if you don't think we should do this, that, that. I'll expect your resignation. Spoiler right? alert, Sean Bean does not die yeah. in this film. So, so he's, good for him. Yeah, <laughs> he's the, Wait he's till the, the sequel. He's the guy that's not quite the highest up, so he, he feels the need to challenge the director of NASA. He was in NASA. control of Hermes, but he was not in control of the yes. whole operation. Right. Uh, then you have the PR lady who's sort of wrapped up in the whirlwind of everything, like... Everybody's talking circles around me. Oh, I'm the comic relief. You know, like, just jamming in way too many characters. I could have done without a bunch of them. And I think that that's something that comes with that transition from print to film, is that when you're Mm -hmm. reading stuff, you get a lot more attachment to all these different people. And they all play an important part when you look at the big spectrum, but when they don't have time to give them, you know, all the necessary build up and emotional attachment then some of it feels a little contract anyway what you think of the josh give us your your goods and bads from the movie my number one most favorite i will just put this as a moment <laughs> okay um when he is going out and i knew what he was going for because it's in the book but when he goes and you discover he's heading towards pathfinder oh that was excellent. like right now i've yeah. got goosebumps <laughs> when he kicks the parachute and uncovers the lander and unearths it. You guys were talking about this last time. It was like a, a crybaby moment for me. Like, <laughs> Excellent, yes. I'm sitting there like, oh my God, they found the legacy mission. This thing was designed to beat Mars, and it still can. Yeah. Where humans struggle, cool. our endeavors succeed. Oh, that's so awesome. this thing was still there, ready and waiting. And when we, you know, drift back into it, you know, that's human idea. Mm-hmm. That put that together and, and manifested it and keeps it there. So people from the past that might even be gone at this point still helping Mark Watney. But then JPL says, guys, we need to find every single tech who was on the Pathfinder mission. Go bang on doors. And a bunch of them are still there. It's like, oh, crap, we haven't coded in that language in forever. <laughs> I wonder if this still works. And they've got the skeleton, the scarecrow version of it on site. And they're able to figure out reverse engineering something that they are currently millions of miles away from. Trying how to, to get it to go. VCR up to the HDTV. <laughs> but way worse. Um, so that was a truly touching moment that kind of, for me, underscored the man is brilliant, adaptable, 
He's the only animal on Earth that could get himself into this situation, but he's also the only animal that could get himself out. I love yeah, it. Excellent. And that's something I kept feeling from uh, Gravity, too. Even though I didn't like Gravity, man is the only animal stupid enough to get yourself into the situation where you're falling back to Earth, and it's really going to go belly up in a little while. But we endure. Excellent. I love it. Excellent. So I will also say, and this is kind of a, a gag one, conversely, after uncovering Pathfinder and bringing it back and using that to do this communication, fast forward a couple months, you see Sojourner driving in circles in the hab. And that was like a... This is an important thing. You don't send <laughs> Sojourner to like be your little Fido and encircle your encampment. To be fair, how long had he been a Mon Mars at that You'd point? You'd get really bored. <laughs> and there's only so much disco man can endure. Uh, it's not that, Mars that gets you, it's disco. It's disco. By the way, did anybody else think that the introduction of an of a almost entirely disco-based soundtrack was Ridley Scott saying, Hmm, the success of a quirky soundtrack in Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you think? No, like I thought to do that. With it. No, it's one hundred percent in the book, and it okay. is there. Okay, all right, thank you. That's it why you're here. It is one of his most. It's one thing that wears on him almost as much as anything else. Oh, okay, okay, that's hilarious, and that's a great example of analysis on any type of art medium or anything because there's the comparatives there. So, yeah. yeah. It worked so well in Guardians of the Galaxy, having a quirky soundtrack of like set late seventies, early eighties. And maybe that's and, yeah, that might bring and us when, in when there it kept a bit. when it kept pouring on and on, I was like, "This Ridley Scott watched Guardians of the Galaxy music right. he has access to, and that's he so develops funny. a I love corrected. hate relationship with it." But when he's officially setting off to Ares Four, he decides that staying alive will become his anthem. Yes. Because that's what he's trying to do. Oh, that's excellent. Right, can yeah. I can I jump yes. in with something uh-huh. I really loved, but then. It's, I think we, we have a good dichotomy here. It's like something you like and it's something you dislike. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Here we go. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, I've already briefly discussed this with Josh in the hallways, but now it's official. It's on loud on the set. <laughs> is I thought the best scene was when Matt Damon was strapped into the Hermes. It is, right? The the final craft that's going to take him off. The, that was Ares 4. Ares 4, excuse blast me. Him off. Yeah, all right. Excuse me. He's strapped in. The wind, He's stripped the, the mm-hmm. craft down to the bare minimum weight right. allowed. It's got a friggin' plastic top over it instead of a protective shield. <laughs> yeah, it's convertible. <laughs> cool, right? Midlife crisis. Oh, the dialogue in this was brilliant. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. He's, he's, he's completely susceptible. He's given up control of the craft, right? It's mm-hmm. g- going to be remotely controlled by the rescue mission. And he starts crying, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, finally, not finally, but wow, he's gone how many months? How many years? Almost two years. Almost two years. You never really saw him cry. You saw him grunt his way through things. You saw him struggle when the HAB exploded. Spoiler alert, right? <laughs> uh, but he was completely vulnerable and started crying. And I thought, this is the way I interpret it, but you guys can jump on me, attack me if you want. I thought it was because for the first time ever, he was truly staring down death. Like, everything else was, well, I have food I can ration. It'll be a slow death. Or my little um, ecosystem is dying because it blew up. I'll probably die a slow death of cold. But here it's like, <laughs> I might not survive the force of this takeoff and flight. I might die. And he started crying. What did you guys think about that? I agree that it's a powerful scene, but I insert different emotions Uh, into his head. He's leaving Mars. Mars has been his adversary, but also his only companion. Mm. At this point in the book, he's been out of communication with NASA again for months. He is sticking to the plan as it was last said and has only this slim chance of getting where he needs to be to get up um that's tough that's really rough interesting secondly 
he's also, I think James hit something very close to what I'm going to say. He's giving up control. He's had the ability to exert, to influence, to change things up until this moment. And, I mean, he trusts Martinez. He knows Martinez. There's a real affection that you get between those two characters. But he no longer is flying this thing. Mm -hmm. He's strapped in, kicked the tires, and he's about to light the fire. And he has nothing left to do. Yeah. Wow. And I think it's a, you know, if I can bridge here, yep, a combination yep. of both things. I mean, if so many of, I mean, at that point, that's not the most emotional point for him at that minute where it's like do or die, literally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm sure he's thinking about... Uh, that this could be the end, but also it's a relief. It's even a relief that he doesn't have to think for a minute. That you know somebody else is in charge yeah. for a second, and you know everything could go wrong. He's leaving this place. He's been he talks about it. He's the first person to do everything on Mars, and I think that they made that joke in uh in another movie, Rocket Man. Has anyone seen that terrible Maybe film from a long time Madonna's ago? Maybe Madonna's in it or something. I can't. I can't remember the lead actor's oh, name. But he's really funny. But he's like, I'm the first guy to fart on Mars and like do all this dumb stuff. Sounds like a good one. No, it's really terrible. Um, but I thought that was so funny. He was like, I'm the first, literally the first person to do anything on this planet right now. And he's the greatest and, botanist. Yeah, he's the greatest yeah. botanist on Mars, and he's colonized it. Yeah, so it's. I mean, at that, that's all the flurry of emotions that you're getting, and I'm sure a lot of attachment at that point would come with knowing his inner thoughts the whole time reading a book a dialogue of in somebody's head where yeah. you're there with them that you don't get as much in a film but i think they portrayed it um yeah enough that it was an emotional and powerful Excellent. scene for a lot of different reasons then i'm going to use that scene as my segue to my biggest problems okay the movie. I, think, <laughs> I think we've already mentioned it actually right. so we have and Here that is. is the end the yeah. or the yeah. the the, the sequence. action sequence, yeah, end, yeah. Um, both. Ends. I, I think both it. Ends. Yeah, I sucked. think it. Oh, <laughs> all right, he said it, not me. <laughs> I didn't want to say that it sucked, but it it got over the top. They really piled it on at the end. Let me go through my list. I make lists, um, and that yeah. All right, <clears throat> it's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll make it. Let me go through my list because boy, did they really start piling it on at the end. All the problems, like. Um, let's see, the distance problem. He's not going to be able to reach the... the Valid concern. <laughs> Valid concern, but then it just, it, it got compounded by, um, okay, let's decelerate the rescue craft by Only exploding... Only option. By exploding <laughs> something, and plus, somebody else now that we don't really give a shit about is at risk because he's climbing around on the outside. Why wasn't he tethered, by the way? That fucker that was he, running around... He used the all bomb? the tethers to uh, put stuff... They're making every single tether they had to try and reach Watney. That looked like one continuous tether it being, became being, one spo continuous tether. being spooled out by a... They spliced all the tethers together to make one they super duper that? duper long one. Yeah. They explained They that? said it even in the movie. Oh, man. I so guess I, I do pay attention to this. <laughs> oh. Touche. Or as the French say... Touchy. Touchy. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Anyway. All right. But then, all right, you, you have to detonate the bomb. First of all, the placing of the bomb and then getting away from the bomb and... I just that love was, that you can was... make sugar into a bomb. That was really yeah, cool. That, that was no a little idea. big quick solution. Anyway... That Chemist, the rope wasn't long enough. Chemists are terrified. Yeah, yeah. they are. They but are. then the rope wasn't long enough. Oh, but, but you then... had an issue with them not using a tether elsewhere. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You like, get it's... one or the other. The no, rope... no, no, no. It's all of it. It's too yeah. much at once. And then so she, I'm going to detach. But there's risk associated with that. I'm it's gonna almost Ma like this mission was never intended to do the thing they were doing. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, man. So, okay. You so didn't I... feel like it was excessive. And then he Iron Man his way the out Iron of Iron Man was the one thing that I went, nope. Okay, this right. is the straw that just broke the too much. <laughs> He's venting his own atmosphere. I understand it's a latch-stitch effort. But every point that the captain makes is the reason why they don't even pretend to try it in the book. Mm -hmm. 
You have no control over that. Yeah. You're just going to hurtle off in a random direction and dramatically decrease your so ability it comes, to function. So it comes up in the book, but they don't end up doing it. He suggests it and gets shut the F down by the <laughs> captain saying, Does don't he say you Iron Man? goddamn yeah, dare. Yeah, I think he yeah. does. He says it in right? the book, yeah? This guy's been making D&D references and comic oh, yeah? references the yeah. whole time. Like, he is nerd extraordinary. And you mentioned that I don't have something really interesting. So, James, I see your point, and it's totally yeah. valid. But I think this also comes with, when you're telling the story... It's the most interesting story, the most interesting parts of the story, but it got a little excessive for me. It was too Hollywood over the top. Yeah, yeah it did, it got. I thought all the ideas and everything that they were doing because that was the complete uh, analysis of what they. It's going to be a bunch of people solving a bunch of different problems using their own expertise and seeing if they could do it on the fly before Mark bounces off into space and waves as he goes by. Well, I love that line of like, <laughs> oh, that's cool, guys. Line. I'll wave when I pass you. <laughs> And now I'm, you guys are putting me on the spot. I'm not recalling the Iron Man from the book. Oh, okay, well. But I would want to double check that. So that's all right. He gets shut down, right? He does get shut down. I I just would have preferred that after after crying and then launching away in his in his convertible, if you will. I would have preferred if he had blacked out and woken up on the ship. Like we don't need an action sequence in this movie. You know, he does black out in the book. Oh, yeah? But he comes to slightly before they scoop his inert, okay. knocked out. He also breaks his visor, is another bad yeah. part. A screw or something slams into it and shatters the screen. And he's doing this that's again. right. And oh. that's a total, I mean, they needed a climax for a movie, of yeah. course. Yeah, so they yeah. gave you the Hollywood um, bit here. But um, going back to something you were just mentioning, uh, Josh, about how this guy is... We can relate, especially nerds, just as the way the character was written on a lot of levels. This was somebody who, you know, wasn't like your typical astronaut that we think about from our Apollo missions Fighter and things. Jackie. Yeah, and so you gave a, a little comparison um, about the different types of astronauts from those different types of movies. Um, so this guy is more of like the... This is in the... We're in the future, right? I mean, right. a couple of years in the future. He's in the future, but when he's first trying to create water in a breathable environment on Mars, he goes into this little diatribe. Like, when I played D&D, I got stuck being the cleric. The clerics <laughs> have a spell called Create Water, and I never used it because it was friggin' stupid. But, oh my God, I would love to have Create Water. <laughs> uh, different parts, he's comparing himself to any number of superheroes. Um, this is a book that I, as a comic book nerd and D&D player felt very comfortable kind of placing myself into there like what would i do how could i survive so it, it felt easier to do than when you read about apollo 13 apollo missions in general those guys are larger than life uh-huh. superheroes at this point this guy was a guy who keeps comparing himself to uh neil armstrong uh-huh. saying like god i wish i was an apollo astronaut cruising up with your like tumbler full of uh, bourbon in your convertible with your girlfriend <laughs> slapping her on the ass and climbing into the rocket like <laughs> he's making fun of that stereotype saying like maybe i'm surviving where those guys couldn't and i love Ooh. that because it's it shows the advancement of science where like the the brains have finally maybe out classed the brawn at some point you know come the, to san francisco right? <laughs> this whole city is a right. is one big representation yeah. of so i thought the nerds have won there was yeah. one super important point i'd be remiss if i did not include because i've seen it on a bunch of different blogs and this is something that i noticed but maybe didn't make a big enough deal of at the time uh they used a wonderfully diverse cast in many different places in many different ways but there were a few roles that were played by people of different ethnicities that became Caucasians in the movie. Yeah. And that felt like that too. a strange change to make, but not 
critical to the story, but at the same time, you're doing such a good job in all these other roles. Right. Why change it? You know, so, you made science relatable. You made being an astronaut relatable to the nerds. They don't have to grow up to be, you know, football playing fighter jet pilots. You so. can be the superhero <laughs> still. <laughs> Why not tell, uh, yeah, that story? And I'd heard that, you know, a couple characters were being condensed into, mm -hmm. like, one character in the film. Um, and I had read that some of the ethnicities got changed. And, you know, Holly, Hollywood market... I mean, whatever they've got going on, who knows what the casting decisions are, but it did seem like they were trying to go for a lot of big names in there and whether that had an influence on their decision or... Yeah, James you know, now, like, now, well, yeah, <laughs> now that I think about I didn't, it... I didn't, know if there was gonna be a, I didn't know if there was going to be a way to talk about this, but um, now since we're talking ethnicity, hey, let's, let's go non-PC, right? Whatever. Um, my wife is not white, right? And she has an eye for these kind of things. And uh -huh. I never did. I would just watch movies and go, yeah, it was great. Whatever. And she's the type that will point out to me when a movie has, like, no people of color in it. You know? Or no women in or it. Or no I mean, women. We don't even have to go very She knows far. all about the Bechdel test and all that shit, mm -hmm. right? And I'm very – you guys know me. I'm a progressive and all that stuff. And I watched the movie, and it could, I couldn't help but think the entire time I was watching it, especially towards the end where it became a we are the world. Uh -huh. Let's all save, you know, Watney, right? I couldn't help thinking because, again, podcasting is not my life. I rant and rave about things way more serious than <laughs> I movies. Think I see where you're going. I couldn't this. help but think, you know, right <laughs> now on planet Earth, there's a, a probably a shitload of little brown people trapped on the rubble that we consider collateral damage, and it would probably cost only like a grand to save them. But yeah. what do we do instead? Go to Mars. Like mm -hmm. we'll we'll fucking send things back and forth multiple times to go get one guy before. Oh, but it's just my no, world creeping its way, and I'm think, sorry. No, I think what you know, you're I'm, saying, I mean, your idea about that is This totally has become a meme on the internet. Like, like how much money are we going to spend to save Matt Damon, right? Hasn't this become a thing? <laughs> anyway. While I do raise issue with the uh, military operation to go save Private Ryan. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, Matt Damon's getting saved in two movies by a whole bunch of people. <laughs> I will say yeah. that in defense of Interstellar and The Martian... The technologies we use to save the little brown kids under the rubble are largely explored by scientific endeavor. So I hate this argument more than anything else. Why do we need to go to space? To get technology, to make money. Those aren't the reasons. They're a powerful after effect. We do these things to explore. I'm not attacking the space program. I'm a huge fan. Don't, don't misunderstand my argument. That's, that's, I'm just saying that... We find out new ways to do things when we challenge ourselves. Okay, well, I'm not putting the cart before the horse. I, I'm not getting my order of operations wrong here. I'm just saying the technology to exist, people that currently live on Earth exist. Yeah. And yet the world, we, we, we rally behind feel-good stories about... Let's hit, fictional, the, right? let's hit yeah. the black budget in the military before we take away from research. Right. So I agree with you. Exactly. I, no, yeah. no, we agree. Yeah, I would agree. be in agree. full support of sending a team to go help Mark Watney and yeah, slashing a large, huge military budget we might to miss help out the... on the interstellar crazy attack robots. And I know that's important to you, James. <laughs> I don't want to jeopardize. <laughs> yeah, something. those were your favorite part, right? Here's my. Here's that's my, how I'm going to edit it. Here's least. my. Here's my. <laughs> I love the robots from Interstellar. <laughs> Who edited this thing? <laughs> no, let, I'm going to give you my closing thought here okay. about closing the Martian. The, my yeah. Martian closing thought. Well, let's grade it and give closing thoughts, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see. My grade for the Martian, I'll give it a B plus. Okay. How about that? And I'm going to say, this is like a cute little tagline I've been holding on for a while. To me, the Martian made Interstellar look like a <laughs> shitty version of Spaceballs. Because to me, to me, Interstellar was a total joke. I, it was a bad comedy as far as I'm concerned. And The Martian is well done. Like, Ridley Scott made uh, 
Nolan look like M. Night Shyamalan. He made him look like someone who doesn't know how to handle things anymore. Like, I guess I'll just fall back on parallel storylines where time is distorted. I'll have too many things happening at once. I'll befuddle my audience with a cockamamie plot. It sounds like, like Prometheus. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. Touchy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's my closing thought. Martian, B+, good movie, go see it. Yeah. Um... Uh, my analysis of The Martian and my grade, I'm going to give it a solid A because mm. all around I enjoyed every aspect of it. Um, and the only, I mean, Ridley Scott, um, I mean, we're taking it for granted how beautiful the movies look nowadays and how well they're filmed we and are. everything. But you look at any aspect of that movie and not only was it this great um, science and slightly science fiction uh, <laughs> film, um, but it it was such a beautiful drama, and it and it's really shot magnificently. So from the cinematography to the story was fantastic, and I love the ideas it presented. And my only few qualms with it, um, and maybe they go deeper in the casting department and whatever, are just the slight Hollywoodization of things, mm -hmm. um, and you know. I, I don't want to let that detract from it to no, me because I no. thought the rest of the film was so strong. So I'm giving it a solid A, and I'm just going to laugh when he Iron Man's into space <laughs> and just and just think, Mark you know. Mark Watney's kind of a doof. Yeah, maybe he, you know, maybe he would do that, and it, maybe the one in a billion chance it would, you know, work or something. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the rest of the movie's so good. Josh. Josh. I got to say, um, for me, it's cusp. I think there are some issues with it that, I didn't like, um, but I'm not going to let that drag my whole opinion down. For the film as it is, I would give it a B plus. Oh, like a cusp, so good, almost great, but really good. If you added more of the science, if they had taken license to add uh, some of the parts that I really felt were missing. So I'm going to hope, fingers crossed, <laughs> that the DVD release is maybe an A minus. Mm. And I will say that because of the impressive, impressive visuals, see it in 3D, and I will give that a solid A. Uh -huh. wow. uh, because when you are looking out at those vistas, it feels like you are on Mars. And maybe that's a view that we will one day have. Maybe not us, maybe our kids, maybe our grandkids. But one day a human will be able to look out their backyard, pull this up on the holoprompter, and then compare the visuals. <laughs> they're, they're okay. Um, it gives me hope for more movies like this in the future and maybe making this a historical perspective one day. And my wow. my end of the that kind of discussion to tail onto that is that I hope that this really brings science, NASA, um, Discovery, all of these things that people forget about in their daily lives for Twitter and that was one of the and things I said leaving the theater. I said, wow, NASA just got a huge oh, yeah. uptick in popularity. Like, you feel the pride of, of space what, motherfuckers? We can bring a guy home. <laughs> yeah, like, NASA... Made it so relatable. It's so what accessible What product placement? Now. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm all for product placement when it makes me proud of science and exploration Absolutely. and NASA because NASA gets such a bad rep and all that stuff. You know, I'd rather see NASA's logo everywhere, which it uh -huh. is in the movie, than fucking Pepsi, like Mountain <laughs> Dew or some bullshit, right? It's expensive to bring Pepsi to Mars, and they're not willing to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, 
thank you so much for joining us today. It's yes, a pleasure. Josh. Hope this to see was, you again soon. This was really yeah, fun. Man. You'll definitely come in and talk to us about lots of other Science things. Science fiction. <laughs> Star Wars. The real oh. deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, on that note, if you haven't seen The Martian, if you made it through this whole thing, I guess, without seeing it, go see it because it's fantastic. Um, wonderful movie. As you can tell, we all really liked it. Um, go watch it. It's great. Um, as always, if you have any questions or comments, send them to us, please, at loudontheset at gmail.com. We just did a listener mail episode recently. It's wonderful. Uh, we love getting comments like how Star Wars it's not isn't science fiction. science fiction, <laughs> but oh, yeah. science fantasy. And addressing those. So please send them to us. Uh, check us out on iTunes and YouTube, uh, Loud on the Set, Kyle and James. Thank you so much for listening again. Uh, thank you again, Josh, for Bye. being here. Go see The Martian. Have a wonderful time. See you later. And cut.